functions of an overseer. But as we begin this morning, I want you to listen as I read Psalm 23, a passage that describes the ministry and the blessing of the true shepherd and overseer of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen as I read a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Our lives are so richly blessed by the presence and the ministry of the good shepherd and overseer of our souls. I, I just absolutely shudder to think of life without the watchful care of our good shepherd. He purchased our redemption from sin and death, and now he faithfully nourishes our soul. He tenderly cares for us like none other with his strong and yet gentle hands. He courageously leads us even though even through the, the deep, dark valleys of life, and he also provides the protection we desperately need so that we will safely arrive at our eternal home in glory. Um, if you are a Christian here this morning, I, I hope that you know how absolutely richly blessed you are by the Good Shepherd, his presence and his ministry in your life. And it's really because of him, it's because of the Good Shepherd that you can, in fact, you should recognize that it is good for the church to have overseers. Now, here's why I say that. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3 begins by saying, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So, aspiring to the office of overseer is a noble task. It's a good thing. R really, it's a good work. Why is that? It's because it is God's will for an overseer to lead people to the chief overseer of their soul, Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. If you aspire to the office of overseer, you reach out and you set your heart on this noble task of being an under-shepherd in such a way that people will follow, will know and follow the good shepherd. That's the goal. That is the desire to function in the office of overseer in ways that will help people experience the care and the nourishment and the leadership and the protection of the good shepherd. So it's good for the church to have overseers because it's God's will 
for them to function in ways to serve his purposes. Now, that's a tall order. <laughs> it's not an easy task. and In fact, it's possible only by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. If an overseer follows the example of the chief overseer, he must, in fact, lay down his life for the good of the sheep. He must sacrificially give for their good in the Father's glory. The overseer must be a servant to all. As Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One, one commentator, when talking about this aspiring to the office, says it like this, and I quote, the writer is not speaking of inner emotional feeling divorced from reality. Rather, the will here is brought into line with a goal given by God. This understanding would fit what Paul likely has in mind, which is not a dreamy-eyed advancement to a posh appointment, but enlistment in a duty that is always exacting and often thankless. It's a good work to be an overseer. It's a noble task. In fact, the Apostle Paul begins verse 1 by saying, the saying is trustworthy. Five times in the pastoral epistles, the Apostle Paul uses that phrase. And he says this to put a special emphasis on what he is about to say. He has something to say that is particularly true and faithful. He wants you to pay attention to what he is about to say. And here in verse 1, Paul draws our attention to the noble task of being an overseer. If anyone aspires to the office, please know it's a noble task. But the responsibility certainly is weighty. I can remember a conversation that I had years ago with my pastor, Dave Dernlin, our missionary spotlight for today. Uh, the church had been giving me opportunities to teach Sunday school and to lead the youth ministry. And I certainly enjoyed those opportunities. And I found myself wanting to have more time to do that, more time to devote to, devote to those things. And on one occasion, I said to Pastor Dernlin, I have a desire to, to leave Honda and to go to seminary to be better equipped for pastoral ministry. Is that a good desire? Is that something that I should consider? And he, in fact, encouraged me with a lot of things. But one particular thing that he said that has stuck with me, and I remember it to this day, he said this, if there is anything, that, anything else you can do and be happy doing it, do it. If there's, if there's anything else you can do and be happy doing it, do it. Do it. And I, I didn't understand what he said at first, but came to understand that he was really helping me count the cost of being an overseer or a pastor and an elder. It's, it's a noble task, but don't take it lightly. Hebrews 13, 17 says, an overseer is watching over your soul as one who must give an account. Um, James 3, 1 says, those who lead and teach in the church will be judged more strictly. So the, the office of overseer has a God-given opportunity to do a lot of good, but 
if you're not faithful, if you fail in that task, you will bring a lot of hurt into the lives of sheep who have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. That is a weighty responsibility. There are, in fact, no shortages of men who have lived in ways that have done a lot of harm to the church, and none of us are above that. And that is really a very sobering danger. And that is why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's weighty. But again, verse 1 says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So it's good to be willing to take on the responsibility of being an overseer. And when I say overseer, I could also say pastor or elder. Though elder, those three terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Let me show you just from a couple of passages of Scripture how those terms are used interchangeably. In Acts 20, verse 17, um, where Paul is preparing to give a farewell to the Ephesian elders, he says, or this is said in verse 17, Now from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then in that same passage, jump, jumping down to verse 28, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Um, if you look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then jumping down to verse 7, Paul says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, And he gave, speaking of Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or the pastors and teachers. One final text, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, says this. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock, be a pastor of the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So an overseer or an elder or a, past, a pastor, shepherd are interchangeable. They speak of one office in the church. Uh, Jesus is the chief shepherd or overseer, and we are the under-shepherds. We live under the sweet authority 
of the chief shepherd and have authority which has been delegated to us from him for the purpose of shepherding the flock that he entrusted into our care. So what is, what is an overseer? We've hinted at it, um, but let me just say this. An overseer is one that is gifted by Christ and the Holy Spirit. He's called by God. He's recognized by the church to serve as an under-shepherd to the flock entrusted to his care. As an under-shepherd, as an overseer, a pastor, an elder, he has a responsibility to give himself to at least four things. Um, and I mentioned these four things. I give credit to Alexander Strock for uh, this, where I got this, the, the way in which we think about the responsibilities of an elder. <clears throat> There's four things. One, as a leader, to lead the flock in following after Christ, to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a, a responsibility of an overseer. Secondly, he is to feed the flock with the nourishment of God's word. So teach and preach and counsel and help people to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord in that way, feeding the flock. And then thirdly, to care for the flock so that the flock will grow and mature in the faith. And then finally, to protect the flock so that they will persevere in the faith. They'll keep believing and keep hoping in Jesus. So who, who is an overseer? Well, it's a man gifted, qualified, appointed, and really willing to take on the responsibility of being an under-shepherd. Here at Grace Hill, it includes Tony Lenhoff, and Andrew Meisner, and Tim Casper, and, and myself. Um, currently, there are four of us, a plurality of elders, overseers, uh, pastors. We serve together in that office and that role here within the church. And we certainly encourage you to recognize that the church is best served with qualified overseers. When I say qualified, I'm referring to a list of character traits found in verses 2 through 7 here in 1 Timothy 3. We find some also listed in Titus chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, and then 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. The, this list here in this text and in the other texts are not intended to be exhaustive, to say all that could be said, but it's these kinds of things that should be present in the life of an overseer. Again, what kind of things? Well, it's primarily character traits. Um, only one of the qualifications focuses on ability. It's the ability to teach, being apt to teach. The rest of the qualifications are character traits, character uh, related. Character really does matter. Um, it, it's important to recognize that qual uh, qualified men are not perfect men. Qual qualified men recognize and know that they need a savior. Um, qualified men know that Christ is their hope and identity. They are counted righteous by faith, not by their works. 
It's only through the transforming power of the gospel that men can begin to develop these types of character traits that are listed here. But a man qualified to serve as an elder should have a growing measure of spiritual maturity evident in their life. Now, why do I say a growing measure of spiritual maturity? Well, it's because Paul teaches us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, that a person is not mature when he reaches a certain plateau. He's arrived, but rather maturity is a pattern or a habit of pressing on in progressive sanctification. So if God gives me 30 more years on this earth, I will still not be perfect. I will still be progressing in my sanctification. Um, but having said that, it's, it's important to recognize that there must be a sufficient and growing measure of spiritual maturity to be qualified to serve as an elder. Again, the whole focus here is on character. Um, unfortunately, there are so many times today churches put so much emphasis upon abilities um, rather than character. They, they want someone who can shine with lots of ability and they kind of overlook or assume the character of the man. The Lord teaches us here in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, and other places, character really matters to him uh, when it comes to men qualified to serve as elders. But I want you to know that the character traits mentioned here are not unique to an elder. Uh, anyone who is alive in Christ, uh, if you are attached like a branch to the vine, you can expect the Spirit of God to be producing these type of character traits in your lives. Elders simply lead by following Christ. Um, these qualifications are the standard that each and every believer should really pursue Again, it was Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. So having said that, what are the character traits that should be evident and growing in the life of an elder? Um, the first one that's mentioned here in verse 2 is above reproach. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. It's the idea of being free from accusation. No one is perfect in every way, but the reputation of a blameless person is such that others don't have a charge to bring against him. In fact, John Stott observes it's not unblemished, but without blame. It's unaccused. It's the absence of a legitimate charge or accusation against a person's moral or spiritual character. The, the reputation of a blameless person should be above question. You are, you are blameless if, upon finding out that you are a Christian, your co-worker would not be surprised. Your co-worker should not say, he, he is a Christian? 
He, he belongs to Christ. It shouldn't be a surprise. There should be evidences in that person's life that he belongs to Christ. Humble, quick to repent, teachable, eager to change and grow. We, we must be men who are in the habit of not just saying one thing and doing another, but actually closing that gap more and more so that what we say we also live. That's the goal of being above reproach. Secondly, an elder must have marital fidelity, or as the text says, the husband of one wife. Um, it's not the main point here, but it's worth noting that male leadership is really spoken of. Last week we learned that a woman's role should not include teaching and having authority over man. In other words, in order to be an elder in the church, you must be a man. Certainly, God gifts women in many ways that are a tremendous benefit to the church. We talked more about that last week, but it's God's design for a man to serve as an overseer or an elder or a pastor. Now, back to this idea of a husband of one wife. Um, or to a one-woman man. What does God intend to say when he makes this a qualification to serve? Well, in short, I think the best interpretation of this phrase is that of marital fidelity. An elder must be absolutely faithful to his wife. There must be no question as to the, the purity of his moral integrity. A one-woman man does not have the reputation of flirting with other women. Women should not feel uncomfortable around a one-woman man. They should not fear that he may be entertaining some impure thought about them. A one-woman man is disciplined and is captivated by his wife alone. So... There's a lot more that could be said here, but the main point that we want to take away is this. A one-woman man is one that gives no reason to quest his question his faithful and pure devotion to his wife alone. So some important questions that you might want to ask would include, does this man faithfully love his wife? Uh, has he been known to be a flirt or promiscuous with women other than his wife? Is this man free of moral failure as a Christian? An elder must be a one-woman man. Also, an elder must be sober-minded. Uh, he will lead a disciplined life that is balanced and moderate so that frivolous activities will not distract him from more serious and important matters. Um, life can get a bit cluttered. Uh, a, a man that is sober-minded will be clear-minded, alert, and free from major distractions. He will be free from all excesses of life that would hinder his ability to be clear-minded about making good judgments about faithfully discharging his responsibilities. And so it's good to ask, does he have any serious life problems or pressures or decisions that would distract him from being clear-minded, giving clear-minded leadership in the church? 
The elders should also be self-controlled, uh, literally self-mastered. The man, this man understands self-discipline, uh, his physical desires are kept in check by his consistent self-restraint. He will not eat or drink or sleep or watch TV or do anything excessively. He will be faithful in the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and worship and service and evangelism and stewardship, etc. So it's good to ask, is he able to stay the course in loving God and loving people? Is he given to sexual lust or laziness or a critical spirit or any other sinful, passionate desire? The elders should also be respectable. Literally, it means orderly. In a, in a word, in, in, it is a word that most often describes orderliness in outward conduct, duty, and dress. But also, it includes order, orderliness of the whole person or uh, the entire inner lifestyle of a man. So is this man neat and orderly in dress and conduct? Is he lazy, a loafer, a meddler, a burden to others? Does he have a well-ordered, disciplined lifestyle? Is he able to faithfully order his life so, that, so as to carry out his responsibilities in a timely way? Would, would, you, would you classify him as a good manager of his home, his job, his, his duties? An elder must also be hospitable. He must show genuine kindness to all people. He should welcome people into his home, into his life. He ought to be willing to welcome visitors and strangers. Does he invite people into his home? Missionaries, needy people, um, uh, whoever it might be from your neighborhood, does he welcome people into his home and his life? Uh, if you're hospitable, you will avoid being offensive or rude to other people. An elder must be able to teach. He must know the scriptures and be able to articulate sound doctrine in edifying ways to others. He must courageously and gently refute those who oppose sound doctrine. He must be ready to study, understand, and apply scripture in his own life, and he must be helpful to others to understand and apply scripture to their lives as well. He must be doctrinally sound. Does he have the ability to evaluate and refute false doctrine from a biblical point of view? Is he able to teach with clarity and understanding? An elder must not be a drunkard. He must not be preoccupied with alcohol or Known as a drinker, he must learn to be filled with the Spirit. He must avoid drunkenness. He must be free from any kind of addictive substance that could control him. He should not be dependent upon substances to function in life and relationship. I did have a question this week whether or not that would include coffee in the morning, um, but that's out for debate. An elder must also... Not be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. 
Um, he should not be a striker or a bully. He should not be harsh with words. He should be able to settle disputes in peaceful ways. Uh, he should not be one who picks fights or is argumentative with others. He is not known to be a man who causes divisions among people. He should be a man who loves genuine biblical peace. An elder should not be a lover of money. Financial gain must not be a motive for ministry. He must not be greedy or covetous. He must be content with the Lord and what the Lord has given. He, he should not talk excessively about what he has or doesn't have. It, it doesn't matter if he's rich or poor, he should not be in love with money. Uh, he should be one that you can entrust the Lord's money with. An elder should also manage his household well, verse 4 and 5. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He, he will bring up his children in a way that does not provoke them to anger. Instead, his children should respect him and they should not be open to the charge of being wild and disobedient behind his back. And when problems do occur, he will resolve them in a way that is timely and honors Christ. He, he should be a respected leader in his home. He ought to be active in assuming the role of being a spiritual leader in the home. Um, he should not be rigid and impatient and insensitive or permissive or inconsistent or passive in rearing his children. He should be active and faithful in resolving problems in a way, in, in the home, in a way that is Christ-like. He must not be a recent convert, verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So an elder must not be a new Christian, a baby Christian, or a beginner in the faith will not have the maturity to lead the church. No matter how zealous he is or how old he is chronologically, how much knowledge he has, or even how spiritual he, he is, he must be seasoned with more than a few years of Christian experience so he can lead with wisdom and humility. And then finally, he should have a good reputation with outsiders. Verse 7, moreover... He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace or into the snare of the devil. Um, so literally, it's a good witness from those outside. He must have a good report in the eyes of the world. Um, the, the real test of a man's character is not really on Sunday, but it's Monday through Saturday. How does he live his life when he is out in the world? Is this man frequently feuding with his neighbors? Does he lose jobs or jump from one job to another? Do, do people really trust him? Is he a man of integrity? Could secular co-workers easily believe that he loves God if, if, 
if he was witness to, if he witnessed to them. Now, this, this list that's found just here in 1 Timothy 3 um, is not exhaustive. Um, but it, it does provide a way to evaluate the readiness of a man to serve as an elder. And I, and I don't know how a quick perusal of these characteristics hit you, but I certainly know how they hit me. Um, and just studying through this text this week, spending time, in, time to prepare this sermon, it's, it's humbling, it's challenging. Personally, it makes me, as I read through a list like this, it makes me just cry out to God to have mercy on me, to help me continue growing and changing. Um, I read through this list of qualifications, and I, boy, I, I fall short there, I fall short there, I fall short there. I mean, it's, it's humbling to work through and really to place your life under the microscope of God's word in this way. Um, but I also want you to know that a list like this should also encourage you because these are the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit is at work to produce in all of us. Um, this, this list and other lists like this should in fact humble us, but it should also give us hope um, that we can in fact continue to grow and change. So in application, let me just ask you to do two things this morning. One, I just really ask you to pray for me, pray for the other elders of Grace Hill Church. Um, teaching and preaching through these things reminds us that we really are in a fishbowl, and it's good to be in a fishbowl, but it requires us to really be passionate about the name of Christ. We want to see Christ magnified in us. There, there is no room for an elder to seek his own power or fame. There's no room for an elder uh, to take uh, to work to, for attention or to take credit away from Christ. We must have hearts that are driven to see God's name hallowed and revered in our lives, in our church, in our community. And, and secondly, we must be completely humble. We must be humble in our own assessment of where we are spiritually. We must be responsive to the Holy Spirit's agenda in our life um, so that we're diligent in changing and growing in Christ-like character. Um, and we must be humble in the sense that if there is a measure of these fruit that are being produced in our life, that we are quick to give God all the glory and all the credit for it. Um, it's his work. Uh, as Paul said, what do I have that I did not receive from Christ, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Uh, but pray for us as elders. Really, you as a congregation, praying for us is so very important. Um, we want to be faithful 
to the task, the ministry that God has given to us. We want to be the kind of presence in your life that will cause you to love the Good Shepherd more. And so pray that we'll be growing, that we'll be changing, we'll be responsive to the Spirit's work in our own life. But then secondly, not just pray for us, I I was asked one time by a guy who said, you know, how how can we as a church help you um, as as a pastor, as an elder? I I love that question. And I've thought about that question um, a, a lot since he asked me. And really, if, if you were to say, um, you know, Daryl, how, 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 can, how can we be of help to you? I, I think I can speak for all of us. We want nothing more from you than for you to love Jesus first and foremost above all else. We want you to follow Jesus. We, we want you to be responsive to his voice in your life, and you respond with faith and obedience. Um, that's, that's what we want from you more than anything else, that you would, you would be a lover of God, a lover of people. Hebrews 13, 7, and I'll, uh, I'll end with this. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray together. Father, it is with thankful hearts that we are reminded this morning of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the one who did in fact lay down his life for us, the one who loves us sacrificially, the one who has and does serve us like none other. And Father, this morning we acknowledge that all of us have a need to follow Jesus more than anything else. Give us hearts that are responsive to your spirit so that we would be a people who would follow after you with joy and delight, to listen to your voice, to obey your voice, and to live for the praise of your glory. I do pray for this role of overseer, elder, or pastor as well. And I'm thankful for Tony and Andrew and Tim and just the privilege, really an undeserved privilege to serve here as overseers. But I do pray, Father, that you would be at work in us and through us so that our very presence and our very ministry would point people to you. That, Lord, we would live in such a way that it's consistent with the gospel, that we would declare again and again our hope is in Jesus and we would encourage others to have that same hope. So, Father, we pray that you would work in these ways in such a way that this church is built up and that your name is honored and glorified above all else. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.